Let's talk about rhythm. The definition of rhythm is a strong, repeated pattern of movement or sound. Now, maybe it's because I'm a drummer, or maybe it's because of the way God wired me. I, I love rhythm. Rhythm, I think, is a really fascinating thing. It's not something that we can touch. It's not physically palpable, but it's something that, I, that we experience frequently, I think, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, most time when someone says rhythm, you might think of you know, drums, or you might think of a particular beat in a song or the way a song feels. But, and while that's true, I think we can kind of we can also find rhythm in our homes, in our jobs, in our relationships, our families, our vacations. I think rhythm is a very crucial part of our everyday lives. And what a lot of people like to call routine, I personally rather, would rather call rhythm. To me, routine kind of says, you know, okay, I'm going to get up at 6 in the morning, 6.05, I'm going to be in the shower, 6.15, I'm going to have breakfast, 6.25, I'm going to do my devotion. I mean, it just kind of, to me, is this very cut and dry schedule that we kind of have to keep. And I don't know about you, but for me, that's really hard for me to do. Um, I am recently married, and my wife and I just moved to Placentia from Costa Mesa, so now the drive here is substantially increased, so I'm st we're still trying to find our rhythm in, in, you know, in a move, and I think that's something that, something like a move or, or something like that kind of really changes the way you, you kind of have to get up in the morning and kind of have to go throughout your day. Now I have a much longer drive, so if, if I want to be able to spend the same amount of time with the Lord in the morning, I have to get up earlier. And because I have to do that, I usually have to go to bed earlier now. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of give and take with it. But So that's why I like to use the word rhythm, because it kind of suggests that it's more of a liquid um, thing. It's not really this cut and dry, straight, you know, if, if, you, if you miss part of your routine, then your whole day is kind of thrown off. But with rhythm, there's, there's some flex to it. So that's kind of why, why I like to use that word. Um, so knowing that, um, as we look in the scripture today, I want you to, to try to pick out um, a couple of different rhythms. Specifically, we see really two different rhythms. We see the rhythm of Jesus, and we see the rhythm of everyone else. And so um, uh, my wife, Katie, is going to come up here and read. And so again, look at, look at the scripture with the lens of trying to pick out the, the different kind of rhythms we see. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went to James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie. So when we look at this scripture, there may be some, some things about rhythm that we, we see very explicitly, or there may be some things that are a little bit more implicit, or we don't maybe see them without digging a little deeper. So that's kind of what we're going to do this morning, is just kind of go, go uh, section by section and just kind of talk about what we see um, in, in the rhythm, specifically 
especially in Jesus, because he is really um, our example of this. So uh, Mark 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. So in continuing where I was talking about earlier, where, where we were last week was we were in the synagogue with Jesus. And like Pastor Chris spoke about, um, when, when he was there, he was teaching with such a great power and authority, the people were amazed because they had never heard somebody teach the way that Jesus taught. Um, it was a power and authority that, like, unlike any that they'd ever heard before. Because we, and we know that's because Jesus was the son of God, that he was receiving this power and authority from the Father. But the people in that day had never seen anything like this. I mean, there had been 400 years of silence before Jesus hit the scene here. So what they're seeing is just an incredible display uh, of, of really just of somebody speaking, knowing what they're talking about. And that's what's, uh, what, we see, what we saw last week. And that at, at the end of the, the passage, you see Jesus actually um, takes a demon out of a man. And again, another display of really just deep power that, that, that Christ had. Um, that he received from the Father. And so that's what, that's, as soon as they left the synagogue, that's what just happened. They're leaving, they're walking home. The disciples, I like to think, are probably still in amazement as they're walking home. They're probably still talking about it. Probably, I mean, I like to think that if I was there, I'd probably be like, man, have you ever heard anybody teach with such authority before? Have you ever, have you ever seen anybody do that? I mean, you know, we've read about this stuff in, in the scriptures or maybe heard it um, heard it in the synagogues on, on a Sabbath day, but man, to see it firsthand, I, I have never seen anything like that before. And so that's, that's um, kind of where we start out here. That's, that's kind of the perspective um, we, we have. So uh, then starting up again at verse 30, it says, uh, once they got into to the house, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So right away, you kind of get that they're talking about Jesus and what he just did they get home and something triggers and then maybe they had forgotten, I don't know, maybe they, they walked in the house and, you know, when, you're, when somebody's sick in the house, you can almost kind of feel it or kind of smell it almost. You know, I, I kind of get the visual that they, they walk in, they, they kind of sense that, oh, oh yeah, like Peter's mother-in-law's sick here. And so I think then that, they kind of put two and two together here and said, wait a minute, Jesus just brought the demon out of a, a guy and, wait, my mother-in-law's sick, so... Yeah, maybe, hey, Jesus, you think, um, you know, you might be able to do something about this? I don't know. I mean, you just did, you know, you just got a demon out of this guy. I don't know if you can heal, you know, I don't know. I don't, we don't know if the disciples really knew what Jesus would do, but it seems like they expected him to do something. And, and another, other translations, and, and this story is actually found also in, in uh, Matthew and in Luke. And so we know that it says immediately when they got home. They, they, they told Jesus about her. So right when they walk on the door, they're just right away. That's, that's what they, they said to him. And it says that she's in bed with a fever. And this is something that <clears throat> may seem in, insignificant to us. I mean, she just had a fever. I mean, we just, you know, pop some Dayquil maybe. We're, it's, we're fine. But um, in that day, a fever specifically was actually seen as something that uh, was, was actually a divine sickness. It was either a demon that was causing it or it was um, divine punishment from God. And so here we actually see that it was believed that a fever was something that only God could actually take away. And so it's actually what we might read over and see as insignificant. Fever was actually something very significant because it implied that only God could do anything about it, could actually heal this woman. 
Um, we don't know if the disciples made the connection that Jesus was the son of God yet. They had seen some things as we talked about, but they're just kind of basing it off what they just saw, the, the miracle that, that Jesus just did in the synagogue. So it says in verse 31, it says, so he went to her, took her hand and helped her up and the fever left her and she began to wait on them. So Jesus heals her. I think this is, this is the first part where, this is the first uh, view of, of Jesus' rhythm that we kind of get here. And his rhythm is, is very different than that of the religious leaders of the day. Um, you see, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they had taken the law that Jesus gave, or that, that um, God gave in the Old Testament, and they had actually added a laundry list of more laws, more do's and don'ts. And one of them was they had made it illegal to heal or be healed on the Sabbath day, which to me seems completely backwards because if God is supposed to be the central of the Sabbath day and we're supposed to remember it and keep it holy, why w- wouldn't healing be the first thing that you would think or something, you know, something divine or miraculous like that be the first thing you would expect to happen on, on a Sabbath day or a day that, that is really supposed to be centered on God? So to me, it just seems very kind of really perverted. And you see that 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 was the rhythm of the day, though. You see that the people were really oppressed by the law. It wasn't what was supposed to be a very freeing thing had become a very oppressive thing. But Jesus isn't, Jesus isn't, isn't, doesn't have that rhythm. Jesus has a completely separate rhythm. His rhythm is that of, of actually freedom. Of, uh, and, and that's what he does here is this woman is lying sick in bed. And when I'm sick and in bed, I'm not resting. I mean, I might be trying to get rest, but I'm not experiencing Sabbath rest or I'm not experiencing what God, probably, or what God intended for the Sabbath day, which is resting in him. And so by breaking the letter of the law, Jesus is actually fulfilling the spirit of the law and actually freeing this woman from her sickness so that she can actually enjoy the Sabbath day and actually, actually experience the Sabbath day for what it was supposed to be. And so that's what's beautiful here is that you have Jesus, even though he's essentially breaking the law, he's actually fulfilling what the spirit of the law was, was intending the entire time. And, and her response out of this is actually one that is probably, this is probably one of the better responses that we see in this, in this text, um, in this, this passage, of somebody actually um, having spiritual receptiveness because she doesn't just get up and then kind of go about whatever. She says that she give, gets up and serves them. And again, this is something that we might quickly gloss over and say, okay, she, she, she started serving them. Maybe she prepared the Sabbath meal uh, for them. I, we don't know exactly what she did, but the language here is the same language that we see earlier in Mark where uh, Jesus is tempted in the desert. And it's the same language that the, of when the angels served Jesus and ministered to Jesus in the desert. It's the same language that's used uh, for this woman, uh, for her servant, uh, serving Jesus here. And so out of, out of her sickness, she is taken and she is able to, to minister to Jesus, to, to serve and to really, to do, to, to, she responds to her physical healing with spiritual receptiveness and is able to uh, serve Jesus in a really deep way, in a profound way, in a way that um, she obviously wouldn't have been able to do sick lying in bed, obviously, but Jesus is freeing her to not only enjoy Sabbath rest, but to fulfill, uh, just to, to be able to serve him 
in, in a deeper way. He's, he's empowering her to be able to serve him in this way. So that's, that's the first kind of picture we get of, of Jesus' rhythm, and we almost we see this woman kind of picking up that rhythm and, and, and responding in a, in a really cool way. So as we, as we go on, we'll, we'll see a few more instances of uh, how Jesus' rhythm is different. So it says, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So this says that they came that, that evening. And the significance there is that these people are actually following the letter of the law because the Sabbath day went from Friday night all the way through to Saturday night at sunset. So after sunset, the Sabbath is over. So these people, they're staying home. They're probably talking amongst themselves. They're saying, Let's, we don't want to mess with the, the law. We don't want to mess with the Pharisees. Let's wait. They go after sunset when it's legal now to be healed and, and, and to, uh, to, to travel. So they go, and they, it says the entire city uh, comes and is at the door. And the, the population of Capernaum is about 1,500, so it's not as, maybe as big as we might initially think when we read city. It's not like the city of Huntington Beach is going to Jesus' door. It's the city of Capernaum. There's probably some others maybe from um, nearby towns if, if word had spread. Um, but it's still, it's still a few thousand people that, are, that are, are there. So there's a lot of people here. And like we talked about last week, or like Chris, Chris spoke on, is there, we, and what we saw last week and we'll see throughout the Gospel of Mark is there are, th- the, there are three different types of people groups that we see here in Scripture. And to, if you weren't here last week or if you might, might, uh, might need a little refresher, um, one of the groups we see is the crowd. Um, part of, the people, part of the, the people that come to Jesus' door, they're the crowd. They just want to show. They just want to be entertained. They don't, they, don't care that, they don't care to actually follow Jesus or actually reflect on anything Jesus is doing. They just want to show. They want to be wowed. Then you have the critics. Now they're there. They just want something to talk about. They want the next juicy gossip or the, something that they can kind of talk with their friends on the next day. They want to they feed their egos here. They're not, they're not, again, they're not looking to actually respond to what Jesus is doing. They, they just, they want to feed their intellect. But the third group you have is the ones that actually follow, the ones that actually want a relationship with Jesus. And that's the beautiful thing is that Jesus could have simply responded and snapped his fingers, everyone's healed. All right, you guys can go home now. You know, and the crowd would have gotten what they wanted. The critics would have gotten what they wanted. But the ones that actually wanted deep relationship would have, would have gone home and they would have been disappointed. But obviously Jesus doesn't respond that way. Instead, he goes, and the visual we get here, him saying that Jesus healed many who had various diseases, it's, it's saying, it seems like he's going to them one by one, person by person, Illness to illness or, or, or um, family to family, perhaps. But he's, he's going, he's, he's, he's loving each person as they are, where they're at. The people that actually want to, to be intimate with Jesus, he's, he's loving them in that deep way. And it's really a beautiful picture of, of Jesus' love. And, and the way he, he went and he loved each and every single one of those people is the way he loves each of us and wants to have a relationship and intimacy with us on an individual and personal level. It's, it's, really, it's a really beautiful and really clear display of, of the way God loves. He, he could have, his power and authority would have been, he, if he would have just snapped his fingers, 
They would have known that he has power and he has authority, certainly, but they wouldn't have experienced the the intimate love that is in Christ Jesus. So by going and being personal, he, he, he gives the people that want to follow and want to be his disciples, he gives them what they want and he gives them the opportunity to have a relationship with him. We also see some, so, uh, uh, another kind of rhythm or maybe a different, more, uh, more of a chronos time, I guess, uh, if you will. Uh, the, he silences the demons here. If you remember last week, uh, when he, he drove the demon out of a man, um, before he silenced the demon, the demon actually said, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You are the Son of God. And then Jesus silences him. Here, before any of the demons can speak, before they can say who he is, he silences them. He doesn't let them have any words at all. And then he, he casts them out. And the reason he does this is Satan will do anything to throw a wrench in, in Jesus' plans, in the plans of God. And if the demons would have been able to speak, and if the people would have finally known that he is the Messiah, they, they might have tried to, to make him king or to glorify him right then, because that was the understanding is that the Messiah is going to come, and it's going to be a, a, a mili- he's going to rise the, the, our people back into power above Rome. So they might have taken him, and who knows what, if they would have just tried to glorify him right then, or if the, ti- the timing was just off is what I'm trying to get at it here. And so Jesus knows that, and knows that the people can't handle it yet, and if there are only 1,500 people here, I mean, we know that he ends up and goes to town, town by town and goes around and preaches the gospel. So if, if the demons would have been able to kind of throw off the timing here, there might have been a, a, ton, a ton of people that didn't get to hear or experience the good news that is the love of Jesus. And so by silencing the demons, he not only is representing and showing that he has power and authority over them, but he's also saying, look it. I'm going to stick to God's rhythm here. I'm, I know what the timing is, and I know now is not the time. And so I'm going to silence you. You're not going to get a word out, and I'm going to stick to the timing. If he, if he wanted to be glorified, if he wanted to kind of, be, kind of really become celebrity and kind of feed his ego, he, if he could have let the demons speak because they would have told the people the truth that he was the son of God, but that's not, Jesus knew that, that was, the timing wasn't there. So we kind of get a couple different rhythms, the rhythm uh, with him and the woman, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and then the rhythm of him healing, the beautiful uh, representation or the beautiful sight we get to see of Jesus' love for each of us individually, and then uh, also Jesus' timing. So the next section of of scripture, um, I think, is probably you get the most uh, explicit um, view of of God's, of of Jesus' rhythm and how his rhythm is attached to the Father. So in verse 35, it says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and they, when they found him, they, explained, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Again, this, this is something that I think this is, the, this is, we see here Jesus' humanness. We, we believe that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, fully human. So here I think we see, we get a really good glimpse of his humanness because he knows he can't do it on his own. He knows that he needs the Father's power. And so he gets up early. I think, I mean, it seems like he probably stayed up pretty late. If he, if he got any sleep, it was probably very little because he was up late healing people. And so he could have slept in. I mean, he, just, he was doing the work of the Father. He had every excuse in the book to, to sleep in. 
Uh, you know, he's, it's not like he was doing something else. He was healing people, you know? So if his body, if his body was tired, he, he, he didn't let that stop him from, from going out. And before, even, uh, before the sun even started to, to, to go over the horizon, it's very early in the morning here, he goes off by himself and spends time with his father. He receives from his father because he knows he, he's human and he knows that he needs, uh, his, he gets his authority and power from God. And that's something that he can relate to. In our humanness, we can relate to that because in our own power, we're the same way as Jesus would have been in his own power. Though he was fully God, he was also fully man, so therefore he, he knows what it's like to, to be human. He, know, he knew that on his own strength, in his own human strength, he would not be able to, to uh, he, it wasn't like some, some kind of sorcerer or anything like that. He wasn't, he wasn't just going out and doing all these miracles. Just on, he, he needed to receive from the Father. And so we see that here. It's, just, it's a beautiful picture of him going, spending alone time in the morning with his Father, receiving his Father, getting his rhythm from the Father so that he knows what he's supposed to do. And it's almost comical how, just how, opposite the disciples are in, in, in their, their response and their, their rhythm here. The language, um, the translation that we use is, is a little bit weak. Uh, it says that Simon and his companions went to look for him. A more literal translation would say they started a manhunt. I mean, this is like, this is serious business here. They went out and they, they, they want, we need to find Jesus. This is important. And it was, they weren't just looking for him. It, we see that he wasn't, they weren't looking for him because they were worried. It's because Look, everyone's looking for you. What are you doing? We, we've got it made here, man. Like, we can start charging money for this stuff. I mean, who knows what they're thinking in their heads? They're, 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 letting, they're letting the rhythm of the world dictate how they're responding to Jesus' miracles. They, they sadly become part of the crowd and just, they just want Jesus for, for the miracles, for the show of it, not for the relationship because they, to- they totally miss it. And that's because they, they aren't on the rhythm of the Father. They're on the rhythm of the world and of the crowd. And so they go to Jesus, and they're like, hey, look it, like, you're, you're a celebrity here now, man. Like, why do we need to go do this other stuff? This is it. This is as big as it's going to get. I mean, I don't think it get, can get much bigger than this. It's easy for us, knowing the whole story, knowing how Mark begins and how Mark ends, that obviously this was, this was just the tip of the iceberg here. This is the start of Jesus' ministry we know that it, it becomes so vast and ultimately now is, 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 uh, was spread across the entire world. But the disciples, I mean, they only see this for the small picture. I mean, they've, they're, they're probably, they're, you know, Jesus asked them to follow him. They're his, his main followers. They're probably kind of getting some trickle down from the glory and, and kind of the excitement and the fame that Jesus is getting here. So they get so focused on the small picture, though, that they, they miss the Father's rhythm. They're so out of sync with, with the rhythm of the Father and, and how Jesus knew. And it says Jesus responds by saying, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I have come. And so out of that space of Jesus spending time with the Father, he knows why he's come. He knows that I'm supposed to, I'm to start my ministry right now and it's gonna start going out to other, other nearby villages and doing the same thing. It says in the end, 39, so, he, so Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, doing what he did the day before, but doing it on a much bigger scale. 
And it's, it's, Jesus doesn't get caught up in the rhythm of the world, the things, the, the lusts of the flesh that he, does, he doesn't get caught up in, in the way the disciples do in, in wanting kind of the fame and, and the, the celebrity of it all. In Mark, we see this three times where Jesus um, goes and specifically goes away from the crowds, goes off by himself to pray um, and to be alone with the Father. We see it here at the very beginning of his ministry. We see it in the middle of his ministry, right, right smack in the middle when he's uh, right in the thick of everything. And then we see it in the, garden of, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane right before he goes to the cross, right before he gets arrested. And it's there, again, we, we know Jesus' prayer was, Lord, if, if it be your will, please take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So out of this, this, this space of, of intentionally being alone with the Father, he knows what his will is. He knows the Father's will. And here, he knows that, hey, you're, you're, not, you're not just stopping here. It gets, it's going to get bigger than this. You've got to be ready. You've got to be, you be ready for what, what I have in store for you. But because Jesus relies on his Father for, one, his identity, but also for his power and authority, Jesus is able to blow off all of the distractions, all the things that were coming at him, all the things that Satan was throwing in front of him, even his own followers were throwing at him. He's able to say, no. It's not about that. It's not about fame. It's not about pride. It's not about wealth. It's not about that. It's about doing the will of the Father. And the will of the Father for Jesus at this point is to go, go out to the neighboring villages, teach, cast out demons, do miracles so that people can know and hopefully experience that deep love and intimacy that the people at the, in the house were able to experience there. If Jesus had been distracted Think of how many people would have missed out on the deep love and the relationship that Jesus had to offer. Think if we would have missed out on it. We could have missed out on it. But I, I know it's easy for us to say, well, the disciples were, were stupid here. But if we put ourselves in their shoes and not knowing the big scope of things, can you, can you, can you honestly say that we would be any different? I can't. I can't say that I would have responded any differently than the disciples did. I probably would have had dollar signs in my eyes too. I probably would have wanted the fame. I mean, that's something, for me personally, something my whole life, I've, I've always wanted to be somebody that, not necessarily a celebrity, but some, you know, have some sort of hold of, of importance in something. And, um, and really to feed my pride and my ego. And that's something that most of you might know this. I, I play in a, a band that tours the country and, and might be going international in the new year. It's something that, for me, is... Something that really, if I let it, can feed my ego. Because there is, however small amounts of fame there are, not that we're famous by any, any stretch of, of the imagination, but people come to shows, they know who, who I am, they, and they know who we are. If I can let that get to, get to me. I can let that distract me and get me off the rhythm that the Father has set before me. And the whole purpose of me going out and doing that isn't so that, that I increase that I become famous, that I become known, it's because we want to tell people about Jesus. We want to tell people who Jesus is. But oftentimes I respond to that mission in the same way the disciples did. And I get caught up and distracted in, in the things of the world that, that are presented in front of me. But Jesus doesn't. 
Jesus knows the world needs to know about him. So he goes and he tells people, hey, I am the light. I am the person you've been waiting for. I am Christ. I am Messiah. Jesus was the perfect human being. And therefore, he had a perfect rhythm. That's because he, he spent time abiding in the Father, abiding in God, spending time with his Father, spending time with the one that knew what he, what he had to do. Because Jesus was perfect, and because we are called to be his disciples, we're called to be like Jesus, to become more and more like Jesus every single day. And so out of that place, that's where we're called to do the same thing Jesus did, to set our rhythm to the rhythm that's above, to the rhythm of the Father. But it's so easy to, to get distracted from the things of the day. I mean, we have, we have phones now that you, you can spend all day on your phone and just be distracted from everything around you. I mean, we have television, we have billboards all across the field. I mean, we have the radio, we have every, every minute, every second of every day can be filled. We can be consuming just content, just, just stuff, stuff that doesn't matter. It's so easy to get distracted. And I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. But in the way Jesus, in spending time with the Father, was able to, to push those things aside, if we align our rhythm with the Father, if we align our rhythms with, with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that's what, why when Jesus left, he said, don't be sad that I'm leaving. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he'll dwell in you, and he will, he will help you. He'll be your helper. So we have that. The Holy Spirit is living in us. And so if we, if we spend time with the Father, the Holy Spirit will align us to Jesus' rhythm, and Jesus' rhythm is perfectly aligned with that of the Father's. But it all comes out of a place, a space of intentional abiding, where we see Jesus' rhythm is so deeply and personally connected with the Father that he's able to love perfectly. He's able to respond to his disciples in, in, in an honest way and not let the distractions, the, what, what, what some, maybe every other human might have easily gotten caught up in. Jesus didn't because he was perfectly aligned with what the Father had. Last week, Chris introduced um, what we call the Kairos card, which if you weren't here last week, there's kind of a, a short description on the back that kind of goes over what the definition of Kairos is and what, what the idea behind the card is. But um, the important thing is uh, the two questions on, on, uh, on the other side. The first question is, what is God saying to me? Now, this, I mean, you can make this very profound, but this can be something as simple as, as, a, as a change in vocabulary. I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's whatever you feel God is saying to you, but this, again, in the way Jesus did, when Jesus went and spent time, he asked, okay, God, what are you saying to me? What am I supposed to do? That's the, the first question was, what are you saying to me first? But as Chris also said last week, it's not, it's not that God only speaks when we ask him. God is always speaking to us so we need to go as Jesus did and spend time with the Father, abide in him so that we can hear and ask the Holy Spirit to give us ears to hear what the Father is saying to us. So in our time of response um, this morning and as we come to the table of communion, I should encourage you to, to ask these two questions. The first one being, 
What is God saying to you? But then God doesn't just cut it off right there. There's always a response. There's always, okay, you're saying this to me, so what, what is God telling you to do about it? What is God saying is the action that you need to do? We see that here, the Father speaks to Jesus here, and the Father says, hey, this is what I have for you. You're gonna go and you're gonna teach to all these different, different synagogues and, and, and heal and cast out demons. And so Jesus does it. It may seem very simple to us, but how hard is it for us? Sometimes God speaks to us, sometimes we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it. Because maybe we're afraid or we have fear or we don't want to or it might be stressful, it might be hard. I mean, a lot of times change is hard and a lot of times, whether it's something that's big or little, even, even changing the smallest thing can be hard. But that's where it's, it's we have the Holy Spirit that's where, we're, on our own, we, we are powerless to do the Lord's will, but with the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can align our rhythms to what, to, to Jesus' perfect rhythm, and Jesus' perfect rhythm is, there, is aligned to the Father's, so we can act, align ourselves, but we have to abide, we have to rest, we have to spend time listening and asking God these questions, and that's, that's what this card is for. The important thing is not that it's on this card, the important thing is we want to try to get in a rhythm of actually asking these questions, of actually reflecting in a way that hopefully we can actually respond and, and become more like Jesus. The hardest part of the Kairos card is perhaps the, uh, the bottom line there. It says, please share your Kairos moment with someone before leaving today. And the whole purpose of this is not to embarrass you or to make you kind of, out of your, go out of your comfort zone. The whole purpose is one, for accountability. One, so, I mean, whether you can share it with your spouse or with your friends or with you know, whoever it is, your brother, your sister, it, it, you share it with anyone you feel. The idea is to, one, be held accountable by somebody close to you. But it's also, I mean, we are, we are as a church, we are one body in Christ. And I think we might be surprised that God might be saying the same thing to a bunch of us. Or you might be saying the same thing to, to my wife and I, or you might be saying the same thing to you and your family. So this is, this is just a simple way for us to try to, as individuals, but also as a community, to try to see what God's rhythm is and hopefully be able to act on that rhythm. If Jesus... Luckily, we don't know what would have happened if Jesus wasn't, uh, wasn't in line with the Father because we have the story and Jesus, Jesus stayed true to what the Father wanted for him. And that's, that's why we need Jesus because he is our perfect example and he was the perfect sacrifice so that we can have, have a perfect rhythm with the Father. But to be a disciple of Jesus, we must follow him unconditionally. It must be something where we're giving all of ourselves to him. That's the only way our rhythm can align with him. We do this by letting go of our agendas, our plans, the things that we think are important, the things that maybe the world says are important. We let all of that go. We say, Jesus, you are the only one that's important. Your, let your plan be for me. Let your rhythm be my rhythm. I like to say, instead of marching to the beat of my own drum, as the world would often says, let's march to the beat of the Father's drum. So as we, as we reflect on that, as we, as we respond to this, um, take a time to respond. Not, I mean, 
the teaching isn't what, what's important. The important thing is the text here. So ask, ask God these two questions. What is he saying to you out of, out of this text? And what is he telling us to do about it? Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, just continue the work you're doing in this place, God. Continue the work that you're doing in each of our hearts. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for this example of, of, uh, of rhythm and how, how you stayed the course. Thank you for the cross, Lord. I pray that you would help us all to to abide in you, to rest in you, to spend time alone with you, not so that we can check it off the list, but so that our rhythm can be aligned with your perfect rhythm, Lord. Help us to abide, Lord. Help us to know what we, if there's something we need to cut out so that we can provide more space to you or even just provide a little space for you, Lord. Show us, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that hear. Give us hearts that know that your promises are true, that you said you will never leave us or forsake us. What are you saying to us, God? Just make it clear. Teach us to march to the beat of your drum, Lord. Teach us your rhythm. We need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.